this kind of gives you a good visual of biological males and biological females, how they're very similar, but, but they aren't identical. And how out on the curve, there are going to be some males with a lot of behavioral resemblance to females, and there are going to be some females with a lot of behavioral resemblance to males because of that. And then before the break, the, the, the second model, besides the biopsychosocial model, that's a great filter for how we can um, view behavior and psychology is the triune brain model that many of you have heard of. You certainly have heard of, because you've heard of the, the terminology reptilian brain before, I'm sure. Um, I, I love this model because I, I think it's, a very useful way of simplifying contributors to behavior that are based on, um, you could call it um, the theory of mind, you know, the concept of the mind as opposed to the brain. I like thinking of uh, the brain as uh, computer hardware and the mind as software that runs on the hardware. Hardware and software aren't exactly the same thing, and yet they need each other in order to operate. So the triune brain model uh, is not literally true anatomically. It's not true that our instincts are housed in uh, you know, the brainstem, uh, nor that our, all of our cognitive functions are um, purely in you know, any one anatomical part of the brain. But it is true that as far as the, our psychology being a kind of software, and, and that's the view of the evolutionary psychologists. They view the, the mind as various software packages, if you will. The reptilian brain would run our unconscious mind. It would pertain to the bodily function, uh, physicality, and ultimately, the purpose of all instincts, from a Darwinian sense, it's survival and reproduction. So the reptilian brain is our unconscious mind. It's what Freud would have called the id. Um, it contains the instincts, the survival instincts, but also masculine and feminine instincts. The mammalian brain is different. You might think of it as if it were located somewhere, it would be located in the limbic system. And it is the world of emotions. Now, the world of emotions contains positive emotions, which you colloquially have always called self-esteem. And more and more research today is using the term self-esteem. They're also using the term well-being more often. Um, I think that well-being and confidence are the two variations of what we all call self-esteem. And self-esteem correlates with happiness. Happiness is positive emotion. Stress is negative emotion. They cancel each other out or negate each other. And so uh, the, the world of the limbic system and the emotions um, are, are, are centers of happiness. It's also where what you would call love exists. Love is positive emotion or happiness. Also friendship, 
could be lo localized to this software area called the mammalian brain. Mammals were the first creatures to come on the scene evolutionary, uh, evolutionarily who could, individual creatures could work with each other toward a common purpose. And, and that ability to work together came from emotional bonding, essentially. And then finally, the higher brain, what separates us from other animals, we have a very advanced conscious, cognitive, executive function ability on account of our cortex um, with all kinds of conscious executive function software. And it's responsible for um, our abstract thinking, our awareness of self, um, our ability to plan, and all the other things that you know um, about cognitive science. And um, so by dividing up all behaviors into these three general areas, the higher brain, which is the conscious mind, uh, logic, rational, uh, reasoning, mindfulness, conscious behavior, intentional behavior, and you might even say uh, the capacity for character virtue, mm -hmm. which you're talking about with Amy when you talked about mature ego defenses, or all the virtues talked about by positive psychology, Martin Seligman. Um, it's the same thing as, um, as mature ego defenses. Those all exist in this higher brain. When you're talking about things like love, friendship, value, how much do I value someone or something? You're talking about the mammalian brain, right? Because the limbic system areas like uh, the hippocampus, for example, assigns emotional valence to ideas and memories and experiences. So the mammalian brain is about what is the valence, positive or negative, of emotion. Is it really negative emotion? Is it really positive emotion? And then tuck it into memory. Uh, the most memorable things, if you think about a traumatized patient, the most memorable uh, things in our lives have a high emotional valence to the memory or they're not as easily memorable, whether it's positive or negative. It's a high emotional valence. So the mammalian brain is about that. And then back to the reptilian brain, that's the unconscious, automatic behavior, reflex behavior, instinctual behavior. And it can be, and, and instincts are always about two things, survival and or reproduction. So there's survival instincts, and then you could say there are reproductive instincts. And I think those are called masculine instincts and feminine instincts. And by the way, I borrow a lot from Carl Jung in being able to give a nomenclature to those instincts because I like uh, large bodies of mythology that have very rich and complete descriptions of human behavior. So I like the Greeks a lot for that. And I tend to nickname uh, a growing number of emerging instincts being um, fleshed out in the science literature of the last just two, three years. 
they're starting to come out with research on specific masculine and feminine instinct. I like giving them names like the Hera instinct, the Zeus instinct, the Apollo instinct, the Artemis instinct, um, the Athena instinct, the Ares instinct. And what's so interesting and cool is if you, if you compare the emerging research coming out on these to the ancient Greek literature, you can actually find familial connections in the storytelling that correlate with what the science is showing. Similarities between males and females, for example, in the area of, um, let's say, competition and winning. Well, I call it the Aries instinct for males, and I call it the Athena instinct for females. Aries and Athena were the, the war deities, the war god and the war goddess. And the male tendency in competition and war has a more brutal uh, shock and awe, um, torch everything uh, style, whereas the female goddess of war, Athena, always tried diplomacy first. And then if necessary, she would destroy everything. But first, diplomacy. Isn't that interesting? And isn't that the center of the bell curve of biologic females that you would prefer generally to seek peace first, but if need be, you'll destroy everything. It's in the Greek literature. What we should be researching on this matter is in the Greek literature. And, and by the way, Ares and Athena were brother and sister. And they're often at each other's throats.